0: All right, if you have your Bible still open, you can go on over to the New Testament. And we'll go to the book of Romans, chapter 15. This is the final sermon in our series on Christian liberty. Once this one is complete, we'll go back to our study on Bible doctrine. Lord willing. And so, uh, Romans chapter 15, for our text, we'll read verses 1 through 7. Romans chapter 15, verses 1 through 7, this morning. The Word of God here says, We then, that are strong, ought to bear the infirmities of the weak, and not to please ourselves. Let every one of us please his neighbor for his good to edification, for even Christ pleased not himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of them that reproached thee fell on me. For whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning, that we through patience and comfort of the scriptures might have hope. Now the God of patience and consolation grant you to be like-minded, one toward another, according to Christ Jesus. That ye may with one mind and one mouth glorify God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Wherefore, receive ye one another, as Christ also received us to the glory of God. we continue our study on this very important topic. Just as a reminder, the first sermon I tried to lay down the groundwork and set the stage, so to speak, by laying out some facts. And in that first sermon I took Romans chapter 14 and we went through verses 1 to 2 primarily and considered the thought that we must receive one another with our different perspectives and our practices. In the second sermon I looked at verses 3 through 5 in Romans 14 and the thought that we we ought not to despise one another or judge one another because of our differing perspectives and practices. I followed that up with the third sermon as we continued on and looked at verses 6 through 13a and, uh, in Romans 14 and then in the fourth sermon considered the, 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 the thought, the fact that we must be prepared to regulate our practices in the spiritual well-being of our brothers and sisters in Christ. In the fifth sermon, which was last Lord's Day, we continued in chapter 14 and looked at what it means when the scriptures speak of being grieved and destroyed and so on. Now in this final sermon, chapter 15 is where we're at. We want to look at uh, Christian liberty with grace-filled sensitivity. I've not really begun to scratch the surface on this. There's much more that I could say on it. But I do recommend uh, a lot of other material that's available. There's the series by Al Martin that I shared on Facebook. There's commentaries on Romans by Martin Lloyd Jones, Rob Ventura, um, other great men. Um, there's the book I mentioned last week on conscience, what it is, how to train it, and loving those who differ. Above all else, we want to always keep the Word of God fresh in our hearts and our minds through the year as we as we come into contact with people, some within the church and some who are outside of the church, folks who maybe are a little bit different than us. I mean, the fact is and the reality is that there are people who maybe don't walk exactly the same way we do, some people who don't act exactly the same way we do, and we have to be reminded that they are still our brothers and sisters, and there are some areas in which we have liberties, especially even though we've mostly been considering the subject of Christmas. I've tried to make it clear that this is not limited to Christmas. Even in our text, the, the early church was dealing with those who ate meat um, those who did not eat meat, uh, those who were vegetarian, um, and those who esteemed days and others who esteemed every day alike. It is possible, even with such differences, such different perspectives, different traditions, different ways of living life as a Christian, that the church, the church at Rome, the church at Corinth, the Galatians, it is possible for the church to be united, even though there are differences. And indeed, we do have to navigate some of those things. Some of them happen year after year, as it is with Christmas. Or as is coming up, Valentine's Day, Easter, those things. Or sometimes things come up unexpected. Like who would have thought that there may be issues like masks or no masks and vaccines or no vaccines and those sorts of things. And so while we would love for sometimes everybody to be all on the same page, and indeed it does help. For instance, when we sing songs, if everybody's on the same page in the same hymn book, there are times when we're not. And it doesn't have to be that way. Obviously, there are some doctrine. There are some theology where we all have to be on the same page. If you, for instance want to be a member of this church, you have to submit to scriptural baptism. Someone can't come into this church and say, well, I think that baptism is sprinkling. Well, if that's what you think, you can't be a member of this church. Someone says, well, I think my baptism is okay. I was immersed in the Jordan River by some parachurch organization. I think that's acceptable. Well, that's a that's an opinion, but it's not scriptural baptism. So that's, you know, you understand that there are some hills to die on. But in issues of liberty, we don't die on those hills. In 2 Corinthians chapter 10... 2 Corinthians chapter 10, and keep in mind this is all introductory material here. We'll get into the text here in just a moment. I promise you I won't keep you all day. I'm trying to make this my final sermon so we can move on. But in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 1 through 11, I've been meditating on this passage for a long while, however long ago it was, that um, that I went to go see Jonathan Sarfati at the, uh, in Savannah. This is something he brought up. And I thought it was great. But in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 1 through 11, he, he read out of this. And he's a, by the way, if you don't know who Jonathan Sarfati is, he's a, he's a creation scientist. And I went to hear him speak, and he brought up this passage. This is what it says. Now I, Paul, myself, beseech you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ, who in presence am base among you, but being absent and bold toward you. But I beseech you that I may not be bold when I am present with that confidence, wherewith, I think, to be bold against some, which think of us as if we walked according to the flesh." For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God, bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ, and having in a readiness to revenge all disobedience, when your obedience is fulfilled. <clears throat> Do you look on things after the outward appearance? If any man trust to himself that he is Christ's, let him of himself think this again, that as he is Christ's, even so are we Christ's. For though I should boast somewhat more of our authority, which the Lord hath given us for edification and not for your destruction, I should not be ashamed. That I, that I may not seem as if I would terrify you by letters. For his letters, say they, are weighty and powerful, but his bodily presence is weak and his speech contemptible. Let such as one think this, that such as we are in word by letters when we are absent, such will we be also indeed when we are present. I want to think of it like this. Paul had been dealing with this church at Corinth. He had some serious things to deal with. But what was his main point? His main point with these folks is that our weapons are spiritual weapons. They're not carnal. And we have no authority. I have no authority. You have no authority except the Word of God. And I'm not here for the beating down of people. You're not here for the beating down of people. But what's he say in verse 4? The weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. The pulling down of strongholds. What's that mean? Well, what are strongholds? Strongholds are walls that people build up if you, if, you, if you think of in the old times, people would build up walls around cities. Think of Jericho, the walls built up around it. Think of forts, there's a lot of forts around here. They, were, they had their strongholds, their forts built up. Walls that people build up, so the truth is hard to get in. What are those walls? They're pride, custom, traditions. Ignorant sometimes, whatever they might be. At Corinth, there was a lot of strongholds built up. Our duty, knowing the truth that we know, is not to tear people up, but rather... To tear down the strongholds. Why? Because in Christ, we want to win people. If we tear down the person, we're not going to win them. We've torn them up. And a lot of times we run them away. But when we tear down the strongholds, we'll win them for Christ. And so just think about that. I'm not going to, I'm not going to, um, I'm not going to spend a lot of time here, but what does, what does it look like to tear people down? We don't have to use our imagination. Go to Facebook and look. There's people tearing other people down all the time on Facebook. Why? Because it's not face-to-face communication. So people get behind a keyboard and they get really brave and they start, they start right away running people down. Sometimes men get really brave because they're standing behind a piece of wood and they start running people down from the pulpit. That never wins anybody. But through the preaching and teaching of God, in the Word of God, we tear down the strongholds, the incorrect teaching, the things that the Bible says, through the truth of God, and, and, and we win people over. The Word of God is sharper than any two-edged sword. And that's what Paul is doing here in Romans chapter 14. That's what Paul is doing in 1 Corinthians. In Romans 14, there's a little bit of a squabble that could go on there. There's some people who are eating meat. There's some people who are eating vegetables. They could despise one another. They could judge one another. Paul is getting into the middle of it not to pit one against the other, as some preachers sometimes will but he's going in there with the precision of the word of God to help them understand how these things work the same thing at Corinth some people said they were of Paul some people said they were of Apollos some people said they were of Peter Paul could have inserted himself in there said, you know what That Apollos guy, he don't know what he's talking about. And Peter, well, he's really arrogant and he talks too much. But he didn't get involved like that. He got involved to the pulling down of strongholds so that he could build up Christ and help the church out, you see, and win people for the cause of Christ. That should be our goal. And so in Romans chapter 15, as he continues, and bear in mind that when he wrote this letter, there were no chapter and verse divisions. He's continuing on in this letter. Romans chapter 14 continues on with 15. In verses 1 and 2, he says, We then that are strong ought to bear the infirmities of the weak and not to please ourselves, let every one of us please his neighbor for his good to edification. So Paul calls on the strong to bear the scruples or the weakness of the weak. He doesn't say to the strong, "Y'all just need to, y'all just need to ignore the weak. You need to tell the tell the weak to shut up." No, no, he doesn't do that. He doesn't pit the one against the other. He says to the strong, "You need to bear." the weakness of the weak and don't just please yourselves pride gets in there and says well i need to just oh that other side oh they make me so mad but no that's not the way it should be bear patiently with your brother and your sister who is different than you This is what we mean when we talk about having unity even when there's disagreement, even when there is a brother or sister who is different. There were Jews. There were Gentiles. And when you read through the passages in Romans chapter 14, 1 Corinthians 8 through 10, Galatians, You understand that the churches could have split at least in half, maybe in three or four different ways. Because you understand that the Gentiles had grown up without the law. The Jews had come from from the teaching where there was a law. They came to the Christian churches With everything that they had been taught about the law, the Gentiles came without it. Now, the churches could have just split Jew and Gentile separate. But then whenever you get among the Jews, there were differences of opinion. Some Jews thought that they should just give off everything of the law that that we were new in Christ. But there were other Jews who thought, well, we need to carry on some of the traditions from the Old Testament. So we need to keep the feast. We need to keep the the clean and unclean restrictions. We need to keep all that. Some Jews didn't. So there could have been a two-way split among the Jews. Among the Gentiles, there was differences. So it could have been split four or five different ways. There's a joke amongst some Baptists, some non-Baptists. And the joke has, has a lot of truth to it, but it's almost embarrassing. It says something like this, and it says that Baptists multiply by division. It happens time and time again. But it doesn't have to always be that way. And, and, and when we look at the early church, we see that they often worked out their, their, their differences. And we praise God for that. In, in this country alone, there are groups, sometimes Even groups that otherwise would agree with each other in a lot of different points. That they won't have anything to do with each other because of one small point here or there. And it is very, very sad. We see that Paul is bringing these things up to not to divide them, but to help them so that they can come together. Some ate meat, some ate only vegetables, some regarded a day above another, others regarded every day alike. These differences were clear. But in Romans chapter 10, verses 12 and 13... Romans chapter 10, verses 12 and 13. For there is no difference between the Jew and the Greek, for the same Lord over all is rich unto all that call upon Him. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Paul had to address the differences in the church, but he did not make it the point of the whole letter. He did not make the whole tone of the letter of, to the church at Rome to be about Romans 14, Romans 15. That was just a, a piece of what he, what he uh, talked about. Too much of the time, too many times, what happens is that um, as I listen to sermons on Sermon Audio and, and, uh, and see things on Facebook, too much preaching, too much discussion is horizontal. We're different than this group. We're better than that group. This sermon is to get at that point at that people and at these people. Horizontal preaching, I call it. Emphasizing the way that we're different. Yes, there's a time and a place for that. That's obvious. But too much of it causes division. That's why there are some conferences I have no desire to go to anymore. Because there's no real interest in, in vertical preaching. What's vertical preaching about? Well, vertical preaching is preaching Christ. Vertical preaching is preaching the Word. What did Paul say to them? Bear the infirmities of the weak. Why did he tell them that? Because his focus was not about their differences. His focus was about their unity. Right? His focus was, here's, you are united in Christ. Yes, there are differences, but you're united in Christ. Why did he tell the strong? Let's look at that. We then who are strong ought to bear the infirmities of the weak and not to please ourselves. So they're reading this letter, and they get this letter, and they get to this point, point. We then who are strong ought to bear the infirmities of the weak. Why didn't he tell the weak to do, to, to do anything with the strong? Well, let's, let's think about this for a moment. He's already addressed that. <clears throat> um, if, you, if you go back um, in verses 1 and 2 of Romans 14... Him that is weak in the faith, receive ye, but not to doubtful disputations. For one believeth that he may eat all things, another who is weak, eateth herbs. Okay? So the strong, the strong is able to work with the weak, more than the weak is able to work with the strong, because for Paul to ask the weak, to do much of anything is going to go against his conscience. And so Paul is mindful of that. And so he he speaks to the strong at this point and tells them to bear the infirmities of the weak. He said something similar in Galatians chapter 6. Galatians chapter 6. Verses 1 and 2. Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such an one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. Bear ye one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. We're to bear the burdens, the infirmities of the weak. Yeah, but you don't know what this guy has done. You don't know what this one's doing. You don't know what a, what a terrible person, well, how much of a thorn in my side he's been. No, no, no. Bear the burdens of the weak. And he says, in so doing, you fulfilled the law of Christ. Now we're going to get to the example Of Christ here in verse 3. Look at that. In Romans chapter 15 and verse 3, it says, For even Christ pleased not himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of them that reproached thee fell on me. There's no greater example. That Paul could have used than that of Jesus Christ. He came into this world. Do you know? Let us not forget of his divinity, that he is the creator of this world, that he is God. He came in Luke Chapter twenty two Luke Chapter twenty two and verse forty two. Saying, Father, if thou be willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. He came as a man, as a man in this world. He willingly took the cup. He willingly lived in this world. He willingly died on the cross. He willingly came to do the will of his Father. He willingly denied himself time and time again while he was here. Not pleasing himself, you see. Came as a servant. What a, what a great example that we have in him. He died. He died for us. He lives for us. He makes intercession for us. You see. In Romans chapter 15... He says, The reproaches of them that reproached thee fell on me. He not only came here, he died. He died not for the righteous, but for sinners. Verse 4, it says, for, whose, for whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning, that through patience and comfort of the Scriptures might have hope. When we think of the Scriptures, the Old Testament even, some people say it's not relevant anymore, but don't listen to them. All the Bible is relevant written for us. The Old Testament, the New Testament, written for our learning. This is why we preach the Word, the whole counsel of God. Every verse. But not just for the mind, not just for the intellect. Yes, it's... We don't leave our brain at the door and just pick up a book and... No, 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 but there's more to that because what is it that ties the Bible together? Jesus, Jesus. So it's the Word of God, but do you know the God of the Word? And all of this is for our learning and our edification and, and all these things are, are written that we, through patience and comfort of the Scriptures, might have hope. Beloved, we have great hope through the Scriptures. So, be in the Bible daily. Verse 5, he says, Now the God of patience and Consolation grant you to be like-minded one toward another according to Christ Jesus, that you may with one mind and one mouth glorify God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so Paul puts forth this prayer for the church at Rome that the God of patience and comfort, and I believe this prayer is relevant for us today, The God of patience and comfort. Why is it spoken like this? Because He is the source of patience and comfort. That the God of patience and comfort grant you to be like minded or united one toward one another. one toward another, according to Christ Jesus. We go to him because he's the source. You know why? You know why this country isn't united? You know why there's so much divisiveness in America today? Because people have forgotten about Christ. People have rejected Jesus. That's why there's no... That's why these aren't really the United States. And regardless of how much they try, there won't be any uniting there. China, they call it the People's Republic of China. China. Yeah, they got people to unite, but you know what they did? They killed everybody who, who disagreed with them. They killed everybody who, who didn't go, go along. And it's sad because there were some good and godly people who disagreed. It's sad because there were some people who, <clears throat> who were lost who disagreed. More people have died in the last century at the hands of communism than any other reason and socialism the rallying cry was democracy and unite behind this and no person no person was safe Say one wrong thing against the the president or against the the power, and you were gone. You were gone. Well, that's not cool. That's not good. But, beloved, beloved, there's great comfort, there's great hope in and through Jesus Christ. Do you know? Do you know that Even with some hot button topics, churches can survive election years. You know, I mean, some people may have wanted to vote DeSantis, and some people might have wanted to vote to vote um, uh, uh, Trump. There may even be some Democrats in here. I don't know. Uh, But I do know, I do know this, that in Christ we're all together. And and this is the wonderful thing about it. This is the wonderful thing about it. Right here. He says this in verses five and six. He says, He says this, this, this prayer. Now, the God of patience and consolation, grant you to be like minded one toward another according to Christ Jesus, that you may with one mind and one mouth glorify God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. We go to Jesus. Because guess what? There's no unity to be found in the Republican Party. We go to Jesus because there's no unity to be found in the American government. We go to Jesus because there's no unity to be found in these other organizations. They can't do it. We go to Jesus because there's no unity to be found anywhere else. He doesn't even set himself up as the one to unify the church. He doesn't set the pastor up to be the one to unify. The unity is to be found in Christ. He's the head of the church. And as that church is, so are we. Christ is the head of the body. We go to him. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, the Roman church was a lot better off than the Corinthian church. The circumstances were a lot different. And so in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, look what he says to them. I don't believe that there was the big divisions at Rome like there were at Corinth. But look at this. Again, these things are written for our learning. He says to them in a more direct tone, he says, And I, brethren, could not speak unto you as unto spiritual, but as unto carnal, even as unto babes in Christ. I have fed you with milk and not with meat, for hitherto ye were not able to bear it, neither yet now are ye able. For ye are yet carnal, for whereas there is among you envying and strife and divisions, are ye not carnal and walk as men? If you were to show me a church that has division and strife in it, like the church of Corinth, I believe based on the word of God, I can say that that church is carnal, that that church has carnality in it, that there's a problem of carnality within that church. Same thing with a pastor, a pastor who is always trying to bring in division to a Bible conference or whatever. I'll show you, show me such a pastor, I'll show you a man who is carnal. But, show me a church that's united. Doesn't mean that they all agree on everything. We all can't be carbon copies of everything. Can you imagine how boring life would be if we all were carbon copies of each other? But, united. Show me a church that's united. Show me a preacher who's preaching the word in a way as to unite, and I believe you'll see Christ in and through that church. You'll see Christ in and through that preaching. Again, doesn't mean that there's not a time and place for hard preaching. I'm not saying that that's not, that, but I'm, what I'm saying is that the Bible tells us that we, we ought not to be always dividing. Look at look at this in Romans chapter 15 Romans chapter 15 Verses 5 and 6. Oh, sorry. Um, he, says, he says there at uh, verse 6, that you may with one mind and with one mouth glorify God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. What he's telling them there is that they with one mind, not with two, but with one mind and with one mouth, not with two, Glorify God. Remember, the issue here is not that there were wolves in the church. The issue here is not that there was heresy. These things, he would be taking a different approach. And he did in other passages. But here, he understands that these are secondary issues. These are issues of tradition. These are issues of preference. And he's saying... Don't divide over these things. Don't split up over these things. Don't bring glory to your tradition or your perspectives they hold near. Don't bring glory to your meat. I know Sonny's is good. I know pork is good. You love your pork chops. And I know you. I know you might not have gotten it from the temple. It may not have been. It may not have been from meat sacrificed to idols. But remember, your weaker brother. Don't make it an issue that'll cause a, a problem. The kingdom of God is not meat. Glory not in meats. Glory not in days. But glory in Christ. Don't glory in the fact that you're eating only vegetables. Glory in Christ. Make that your one voice. You see, this is what you've got in common. How is this possible? How is this possible? Only Jesus can do that. You know, one of the great marvels of Christianity is this. A brother or sister can, can come from halfway around the world. He has nothing in common with me. He grew up in another country he doesn't uh, he doesn't dress the same as me he doesn't he doesn't have the same customs doesn't eat the same thing as me but yet we bond right away why because in Christ we're brothers and if you've ever had that experience you know what I'm talking about only Jesus can do that only Jesus can do that the early church did not have, a, have problems with diets and days until somebody got in there and tried to cause it an issue. <clears throat> Paul's aim was inward with the mind and outward with the mouth. Complete unity, even where there was disagreement and differing conclusions with these people. Jesus is the perfect pattern. He was our great elder. He is, <clears throat> rather, not was, Our great elder brother. He is the head of the church, the only lawgiver. And in the scriptures, we find no law about these things that pertain to the church. And so we've got to be careful. Paul didn't go about setting new laws and regulations for these things, he didn't say, All right, Rome, you need to set some new laws about me too. And he says some new laws about days. He didn't do that. Some within the early churches tried that. And some in our day, and I thank God for those who may be interested. You know, there's always some busybodies out on sermon audio or whatever. I thank God that nobody in this church is uh, even, uh, just to be proactive here, I'll just say, nobody in this church is trying to set new rules and regulations here. Um, but I do know churches sometimes do try to do that, uh, even in our day. They'll say, well, we got this problem, so we need to set a new rule. They call it bylaws. That's what they call it, Bylaws. And some churches have more bylaws than what the uh, 10 commandments were. I've seen it. We've got to we've got we've got to steer clear of that sort of thing. The unity of God's people can happen even where there are some things that we differ a little bit here and there on. In John chapter 17 Jesus came into this world. He lived under the law. The only time that he ever that he ever butted heads, if I can use that term, the only time he ever argued with the Pharisees, the Jews, and the Sadducees. Any time he ever argued with those people is when they went above and beyond the written law of God. But he kept the law perfectly. He is the lawgiver of the of the church and what was his great prayer of and for the people well let's look in john chapter 17 verses 17 through 21 look at this he says sanctify them through thy truth thy word is truth as thou hast sent me into the world, so have I also sent them into the world. And for their sakes I sanctify myself, that they also might be sanctified through the truth. Neither pray I for these alone, but for them also which shall believe on me through their word. That they, may, that they all may be one, as thou, Father, art in me, and I in thee that they also may be one in us that the world may believe that thou hast sent me. A lot of people have kind of taken this and run with it. But understand, beloved, Jesus was not going beyond the word of God. And no preacher, no pope, no church ought to do that either. When he talks about oneness and we think of uh, us being one as as he is one, a lot of people have taken that way too far. You know, the popes and the ecumenical movement and all of that. That's not what he's talking about. You can't be one with people who are heretics. That's not ever going to work. <clears throat> Furthermore, <clears throat> even, amongst, even amongst Baptists, one church can't dictate to another church how to act and how to behave and how to do things. You've got to take it all in context. Sanctify them through thy truth, thy word is truth. We're one in Christ. We go no further than his word, you see. If it's a sin, we're not at liberty to do it. If he's commanded it, we better be doing it, right? If it's against his law, we ought not to be doing it and all of those things. But the unity of God's people was on His heart and mind. And it ought to be on our hearts and minds as well. And we ought to consider these things when we deal with each other and when we consider even our differences as we go from our day-to-day and navigate our lives <clears throat> In Romans chapter 15, I'll close with this in verse 7. Well, almost closing. I'm not quite there. In verse 7, he says, Wherefore receive ye one another as Christ also received us to the glory of God. So this section here... Or where we'll stop ends with a command from the scriptures in that we're to receive one another even as Christ has received us to the glory of God. You ever meditate on that for a while? How different, yea, how vastly different that we can be from Jesus. Think about this. Christ has received us to the glory of God. Now, can two walk together except they be agreed? That's a good question, isn't it? But yet, here we are. He loved us. He loved us first. Even when we were unlovable, unrighteous, sinners, Yet, he received us. Now He received us. He's warmly welcomed us into the family of God. We're not uh, We're not perfect yet. In fact, uh, in fact, um, uh, we don't deserve to be where we are, and yet we are here. And um, and so the question is: Are we better than Jesus in that we cannot receive our brother or sister who's a little different than us? Somebody said one time. Said, we only really love the church to the degree that we love the church as much as Christ loves the church. Well, how much does Christ love the church? He loves the church enough that he gave himself for every single member. Okay? That means even the most, the least faithful member of the church, the, 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 the most backslidden member of this church, the most, the, 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 the member of the church who maybe is hard to get along with, And if you can't think of who that is, maybe it's you. You know? Um, But think about that. The church is not just an abstract term. The church is this church. How much do you love the church? Because Christ loved this church enough that he died for it. And now, the example is here. Receive one another as Christ also has received us, to the glory of God. And multiply that and understand that this church is not the only group that Christ has died for. Christ has died for a whole host of people. Some people who aren't in the church. Some people who are members of other churches. Whoa, wait a minute. There's some people who are way different than me. Some people, some churches who I don't want to have anything to do with. Some brothers who are... Now understand, there are people that we receive to different degrees. Just because they're people that Christ died for doesn't mean that we welcome them into this pulpit. Doesn't mean that we open our arms arms wide and say come on in and be a member here there are prerequisites to all of that but bear in mind that they're brothers and sisters when we deal with them and when we talk with them and all of those things what's the end what's the end goal of all this where should we be i believe we should be where paul was this is the reason why he could talk to the church at Rome like he did. In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 19 through 27. 1 Corinthians 9, verses 19 through 27, it says this. For though I be free from all men, yet have I made myself servant unto all, that I might gain the more. Unto the Jews I became as a Jew, that I might gain the Jews. To them that are under the law, I became... Sorry, to them that are under the law, as under the law, that I might gain them that are under the law. To them that are without law, as without law, being not without law to God... But under the law to Christ, that I might gain them that are without law. To the weak became I as weak, that I might gain the weak. I made all things to all men, that I might by all means save some. This I do for the gospel's sake, that I might be partaker thereof with you. Know ye not? that they which run in a race run all, but one receiveth the prize, so run that, they may, that ye may obtain. Every man that striveth for the mastery is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a corruptible crown, but we an incorruptible. I therefore so run, not as uncertainty, but so fight I, not as one that beateth the air, but I keep under my body and bring it into subjection, lest but any... By any means, when I preach to others, I myself should be a castaway. This is the example of what following Christ is all about. Paul was free. He was, as Brother Peter put it, he danced to no man's fiddle. He answered to no council. He answered to no pope, right? He was free. Yet he made himself servant. As some, uh, some translations put it, in the Greek it's very, very strong. Uh, yet, Paul said, I have made myself, though I be free from all men, yet I've made myself slave to others. Okay? Look around the room. Though I be free, yet I've made myself slave. To my brother there, to my sister there, to my sister here. You see, that's what he's talking about. Are you ready to do that? To the Jew, I became as a Jew, that I might gain the Jews. To them that are under the law, as under the law, that I might gain them that are under the law. To them that are without the law, as without the law. To the weak became I as weak, that I might gain the weak. I am made all things to all men. That I might by all means save some. Save some. How'd he get there? Was Paul some superhuman Christian? Some level that you and I will never get to? No. See, he's out there doing this, he was out there doing this for the gospel's sake. How do you and I get there? Well, he tells us, don't you know that they which run in a race run all? His race is done, but he left us this run that you may obtain. Run that you may obtain. He's, he watched those runners, he knew. You know what made a great runner? It was, a, it was every once in a while they'd get up and discipline themselves. They would, they would run every once in a while. No, it wasn't every once in a while. It was daily. Daily they were about running and they were disciplining their body. They, it was a daily thing. He said, he said they were striving for the mastery. They do it to obtain a a corruptible crown, something that's going to fade away. But we do it for an incorruptible. He said, I therefore so run. I'm not beating the air here, he says. But I keep under my body and I bring it under subjection. I'm beating my body. Black and blue if I have to. Remember what I said about, about strongholds? That's what he was doing, tearing down strongholds. Because before you and I can ever tear down anybody else's strongholds, before we can ever help the perishing out there, before we never help our brother and sister tear down strongholds that are in their life, we got to tear down strongholds here in our own life. And that's what Paul had to do. I've got to beat my body. I got to tear up this flesh. I got to crucify this flesh. Lest that by any means, when I preach to others, I myself should be a castaway. Lest by any means I should be disqualified from the race. I pray this has been a blessing to you, this series. That somewhere along the way, these six messages have been a blessing to you. That you've been able to get something out of it. It's been a blessing to me. I tell you, as you study these things out and as you look at them, uh, even if you uh, weren't able to be here for the whole series, I I'm just uh, implore you or, or uh, kind of invite you to go back and listen to the other sermons. Read Romans 14, 1 Corinthians 8 through 10. Study Galatians. Remember, I'm not talking about any kind of an ecumenical movement or anything like that. There are degrees of issues and there are times when the preacher, when the church has to take a strong stand. John took a strong stand. We looked at that this morning. Sometimes there is reasons to divide from other groups. But but even then, we don't want to tear down people. We do want to make sure that we can win folks for Christ. And when we think about our differences, when it comes to liberty when it comes to secondary issues even we ought always to be united in christ and i hope that's the message that i've been able to get out in these six sermons lord willing next time we get back into our studies of bible doctrine and may god add a blessing to his word we'll go ahead and close with a word of prayer